are so excited to be sharing this rebroadcast of our Israel Keys episode. Like, maybe excited's not the right word because it's so dark, but, like, this is one of my favorite episodes we've ever made. This is the one where he, like, asks for, like, Mars bars and, like, Snickers and coffee, right? That's him? Yes! Israel Keys? Yes. <laughs> Yeah, it's super creepy. It's one of those ones where, like, they only know a handful of the crimes that he did. And there's, like, he was one who left those guys cautioned, like, bad oh, words. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. He left those kill kits around the country, and they're still trying to find them. It's so creepy. But it's also based around this, like, 35-hour-long interview that the FBI did with him. So it's, like, it's him in his own words. Yeah. It is so crazy. This story is bananas. Yeah, I remember, I mean, this could be any episode. I just remember being really mad. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> if, that, if that narrows it down for you. Yeah. And before we get to it, guys, just really quickly a reminder, if you want more Julian and me, go to the Patreon. It's 140 full bonus episodes to download and binge right this second. It's where we do our series, girl, right? So it's like Don't F With Cats, Tiger King. Making a Murderer, The Jinx. Lorena. Natalie Holloway. I, there's so there's so many I can't, I've like lost her. I can't remember them at this point at all. But there's also like ad-free episodes and after parties and Corona check-ins. We're basically in your podcast feed like every single day. Yeah. Sometimes. We'll like do a fun surprise for you. Today we're doing a Zoom hangout with yes. some of the Patreon. So yeah, it's fun. It's just a party. It's a general party. It's totally a party. All right, you guys, go get your Israel keys on and we'll see you at the end. I just gotta say, like, I've been really wanting to cover this case for a really long time. I know. I'm really fucking fascinated by Israel Keys. Yeah, Israel Keys, the idea of his existence is terrifying. I know. Because he has a lot of patience. Uh-huh. And a lot of anger towards women. Guess like what? I don't have do. either of those things. I know. I will say this. I think Israel Keys is, like, way hotter in theory. Excuse me. <laughs> what does that even mean? How is that? Israel, he's hot in theory. I don't know. <laughs> I'm garbage belling you for that. Hot in theory? Israel Keys was indicted for kidnapping and killing an 18-year-old from Anchorage, Alaska. Her dad was just devastated. That was his baby. That was his only daughter. It's not the outcome we wanted. You said you got your monster. <laughs> We found out he had murdered other people. Israel Keys was one of the most meticulous serial killers that I've ever come across. He had stashed away these kill kits. He would have things like ligatures to tie people up. Shovels. Ammunition. We're talking years that these things would sit. I haven't seen anything like it. He did not have a pattern or a type. He would get a rental car and drive thousands of miles. He could kill anyone, anywhere. He's really only willing to talk about what he's willing to talk about. Once I give out the information, then it's gone. There are more victims, and we've got to find them. As soon as the video camera went on, I said, if she's here, we're going to find her. I don't know how anybody could work this kind of case and not have it impact them. You had to think creatively. There was no rule book. People never expect stuff to happen. <laughs> I don't understand what would push someone to be so cruel. Folks wonder why folks sleep with a gun on their nightstand. Can I just say one thing? Yeah, yeah. Oxygen, it seems like they haven't quite landed on a format. <laughs> yeah, because talk about random and not following a pattern. Like, I, every one of these things <laughs> has a completely different vibe to it. It's true, because the first one was, like, all Maggie all the time. Mm -hmm. Susan Cox Powell that had Stephanie, but mm -hmm. she was only in it, like, a little bit. Right. And this has no Maggie. Yeah, it has no Maggie. It's a very different way of doing things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. what yeah. I will yeah. say about that. All right, how do we start, girl? Well, we're in Anchorage, Alaska. Which looks beautiful. It does. Yeah, that's it, all I have to say about Anchorage. Yeah, as it's... It's like October and 85 degrees. Right. <laughs> yeah. It looks extra beautiful up in Anchorage, Alaska. Anchorage is a really small community. There definitely is that whole, you know, last frontier kind of mentality up here. A lot of people who come out here are what we call end of the roaders. So you can get some interesting cases up here. 
So we we learn um, right away. You get some end of the rotors up in Anchorage. <laughs> yeah, I have. Anchorage is kind of far away and attracts a lot of real weird people. Yeah, someone's like, you can get some uh, interesting cases up here, right. and I'm like, oh god, interesting never means interesting in this case. It's like, oh, so like exceptionally terrifying. Cool, good to know. Thank you so much. I feel like there are moose everywhere. Moose are cool. That's right. I agree. You heard it here first. Right. We are pro moose. We- so it's February 1st, 2012, and we're at a drive-up coffee stand. Okay, so this 18-year-old girl named Samantha Koenig works in, like, a coffee hut. In Alaska, we have these drive-up coffee stands that are oftentimes in parking lots of businesses. Samantha Koenig is a young woman, 18 years old, and she worked in one of those coffee stands. At closing time, she's the only barista that's there. This sounds like a setup for a really bad thing to happen. Yeah, it's called Common Grounds, which is a great name for what it is. It is. I'd like to get back to, like, you're by yourself in the middle of a parking lot. Oh, we have to talk about the scary stuff, right? Yeah. Shit, I forget that sometimes. Okay, so we can't talk about what a witty name. The, okay. Ooh, focus, focus, focus. All right, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. But it's one of those places where you can only order at the window. It's not like you can go in and, like, chill with your friend. You can only order at the window, and right. everybody has a gun because it's Alaska. Uh-huh. So the thing is about Samantha, her boyfriend was going to pick her up, yeah. and he goes to pick her up and she's not there and so he goes to Samantha's dad's house and that's when he gets a text from Samantha's phone saying hey everybody I'm spending a few days with friends tell my dad they'd had a relationship for about nine and a half months and he knew this was not Samantha just a couple things about it this. already doesn't sound like Samantha no <laughs> That's a weird text to send to any... I'm sorry. It's a very weird text. This is another one of those things that like always gets me. We're like, well, Samantha's just missing. I guess we'll wait till morning to do anything about it. Wouldn't you be out there looking? Yes. You know what I mean? Like, like th- what friend, Samantha? Calling every friend she you know that she has. Like, yeah. wait, you're saying with who? With it, whom? With who? It doesn't matter. Right. Now it gets really scary, you guys, because we see the security tape of what happened. So what happens is the dad goes to the cops the next day. Yeah, I hope they've been on the phone for 12 hours trying to have the best possible outcome instead of just assuming that the worst has happened. (laughs) I'm hoping that they're up all night scouring Alaska for her. So the police go to the manager. The manager pulls the security footage Mm. and we see the most terrifying thing you can possibly imagine. So we see the security footage from inside the little hut. A man came to the little kiosk window at 8 o'clock. Samantha made a coffee drink for him, turned back around, And then you can tell she's shocked. You see her body language change. She goes from someone who's just serving someone a coffee to being very nervous and very concerned. Again, stranded by herself in the middle of a dark parking lot in the middle of Alaska. Right. Not a great idea for business, you guys. I know. So somebody comes up to the window, orders a coffee drink. Samantha makes the drink. She turns back around and she jumps like 14 feet in the air. You could see, and you know that footage, we always talk shit about it. It's choppy. It's it's never clear. But you can see the way her whole body, like like there's a trampoline (laughs) below her suddenly. (laughs) She She like knocks over all the to-go cups. She jumps back and like, you just think like, God, what did she, what was she? seeing to make her react. It's not like she froze. She jumps back and she's terrified. So then we are told that she is told to turn off all the lights. Right. You see her. She's just like, okay. Yeah. So she's assuming that they're being robbed. Right. She has no idea what's in store. So she's kind of doing the whole like, okay, like doing what he wants, laying on the floor, doing whatever. He's just going to rob the coffee place and be on his his way. way. But then like one of our talking heads tells us. It just didn't come across to her that she was in danger until he starts you know, walking her out of Because you see him climb through the window. He pulls himself. And again, it's so grainy. You would never be able to identify this person. I know. Why can't we get a better camera? And you know he told her to turn the lights off because he knew there was a camera in there. 100%. And even if the lights were on, guess what, Israel? We still wouldn't have identified you until much later. (laughs) So then we learned that, like, it wasn't until he's basically pushing her out the door with the gun that she realizes that she's in big trouble because he's taking her with him. Right. And then they both leave the coffee stand and disappear out of sight of the camera. Yeah. God. It's horrifying. So her dad, of course, is, quote, raising hell, as he should. (laughs) Can you imagine if it were my kid? No. I'd be (laughs) all over Alaska. Yeah, all the dogs would be howling and awake. It's only a register that they can hear. (laughs) The tides would change because the vibration of it, the waves would be different. It's a mild earthquake. It registers at like a 2.6 on the Richter. Oh, God, you only care about your kid at (laughs) 2.6 worth. 
<laughs> so he arranges a search party. The next day, um, her dad was raising hell about this, trying to figure out where his daughter went. Use this area as a meeting place because this is where my daughter was taken from. Right. Like you do. And the thing is, the, this whole community is up in arms. This is like one of their own. And, and everyone's like, this is Alaska. Like, she can't be too far. People were just literally like, whose basement is she in? Whose door do we have to go knock down to find her? There wasn't any narrative for people to, to understand what happened. Right. There are T-shirts made, pens made, flyers, reward money. There's a candlelight vigil. Like hundreds of people show up. It's so heartbreaking to hear because someone yells out, like, what else can we do? Right. Like standing here is great and we'll like em emotional support will do that. But like what actions can we take yeah. to really get things moving? And someone's like, thoughts and prayers. And I'm like, ooh. <laughs> No. And so then we're told very early in the investigation they get like a new lead because another local business with a security camera picks up the rest of the scene that got cut off when they left the coffee hut. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're like marching to Israel Keys's like truck. We're able to determine that Samantha walked to a white pickup truck and then the truck drives away. And then we get like, you know, we were able to estimate that it's from between like 1999 and 2007. It was a white car. And Can I'm I like, ask you a question? is that really narrowing it down? I was like, that's what I said. I was like, that's like eight years worth of cars. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> now, I also don't know if cars get updated every year. <laughs> it's not like my computer that forces itself to shut down for seven hours. Get a Mac. <laughs> so How dare you. <laughs> I will. I've earned the right. <laughs> it's true. After a hundred episodes of this nonsense, just get a Mac. <laughs> like, but I know, like, if cars get updated or whatever, like, I can't imagine they look that different, which no. makes it even worse. So right. it's just eight years worth. Like, what, what did the 1998 right. white pickup truck right. look like as opposed to the 99? But it's like, that's when we learned that they run to the FBI database. They're like, put in this truck between these years. In this town, it can't be that many, right? They're like, it was several thousand. It was like 25,000 cars. And right. everyone's like, oh. Because it's Alaska and everyone needs a goddamn truck. Right. And th that's the thing. So this is getting bigger than the local police. Yeah. Because they see her being dragged into a car. And so now the FBI is involved. I was going to say, no offense, but like when a guy puts a gun in a thing and climbs through a window and drags a girl out by her hair. It's a big deal. So. Yeah. <laughs> Call the goddamn it FBI. It starts as a big deal. <laughs> That right, right. when someone's missing, it's already like it's yeah. just in the big deal column. <laughs> to begin exactly. with. Exactly. Thank you. But then we meet Q the Dolly. Jolene, 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 Jolene. Anyway, Jolene's a badass. <laughs> And basically we learn like she's kind of introduced by other people and all the all the men, thank God, are just like, oh, she's a badass. You totally want her on your side. Yeah, and, totally. we, and we got her. The FBI assigns Jolene Godin as the lead investigator. Jolene's pretty well known as someone who's a top agent. And one thing Jolene excels at is she can delve into somebody's history with the best of them. They are totally saying like, well, for a woman, she's great. You know, like in the, like that's their thought bubble above their head. Yeah, I chose to change it for them. Right. <laughs> You're welcome. I fixed it. As Twitter would say, there, I fixed it. She's a badass. You want her on your side. And uh -huh. here she is. But then they tell us that the investigation hits a stone wall. Not yeah. to be confused with Stonewall. No, no, no. Every night's, every a, night's riot. a goddamn riot. <laughs> No, quite the opposite, because like two and a half weeks and they get nothing. Right. Until something terrible happens. So two and a half weeks after she went missing, the boyfriend gets a text on his cracked phone, which we sure. see again, still cracked, from her phone. Right. And they say that he goes like sheet white. And so the text just says. Basically, it says Connors Park underneath Albert Pick. Ain't she pretty? That makes my whole, like, I can feel it in my cheeks. Ain't she purdy is so vile. Doesn't it make you want to, like... It, the whole thing is so awful because there, I'm not trying to be funny when I'm saying this. Yeah. After two and a half weeks, she's not alive anymore. No, no, no. Two and a half weeks, no contact, she's not alive anymore. But, of course, when you're in the situation, you can't believe that. So the dad and the boyfriend drive to this place, which is, like, 30 miles away. With the authorities. With the authorities, of course. And there's, like, a sandwich bag, like, tacked to this bulletin board. Mm -hmm. And it, there's a ransom note and a picture picture of Samantha. Now, in the photo, she has tape over her mouth. Yeah. And we are told that the photo was intentionally made to look a little fuzzy and not 100% clear and crisp. But so her dad, Samantha's dad, after taking a lot of time to consider it and probably have to say the, the worst thing you could possibly say, yes, that's my daughter. Yes, that's Samantha. That's her. Yeah. Yeah. So they took the photograph to her father for him to identify it. And he, after looking at it for a long time, said, yes, that's the Samantha. 
but her hair was in a braid. And Samantha never wore her hair that way. So, and then in the ransom note, this guy, whoever it is, it's Israel Keys, but we don't know that yet. <laughs> he demands that $30,000 get put in, in Samantha's bank account. Right. And so the whole idea is that like he has access to her bank account through her debit card or whatever. And that's how the murderer is going to access the money. So the police get involved. What they do is they put like a portion of the $30,000 that was asked for in the ransom note in the bank account. Right. The police and the family will be alerted as soon as the debit card is used. I told them he's going to use her debit card. If he was going to do something stupid, that was going to be the one thing he did that was stupid. Because we could find him. They had worked out a deal with the bank so that Anchorage Police Department and the FBI would be notified immediately when her debit card was used for anything. Right, so he's using the debit card, three different ATM withdrawals, 500 bucks, the daily limit. Yeah. And all these alerts are going off. And then by the time they get to him, like the cops are dispatched, by the time they get to the ATM, he's not there. And they just miss him three times. As soon as the alerts came, we dispatched law enforcement there as quickly as we could, but we were literally minutes behind him. The thing is, we're seeing, like, because it's a documentary, we're seeing the video of, like, the ATM mm-hmm. place. It's so terrible. It's, like, out of a fucking horror movie. It's a guy, like, either in a ski mask yeah. with, like, with sunglasses or, like, the hood. I mean, he's and he's looking like tauntingly into the camera, right? Being like, "Here I am," but you can't see me, right? It is so you can't write it. It's so terrifying, right? So this was in February, remember? Yeah. Then it stops. These three ATM withdrawals, they can't get them, and then everything goes silent. Can you imagine? I just cannot imagine how awful that no. is. No, 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 no. I can't either. Because then on March seventh. We get a withdrawal from where? Arizona? (laughs) What the what? And everyone's shocked. Everyone is shocked. Then there was another withdrawal in Lordsburg, New Mexico. The next withdrawal was March 10th in Humble, Texas. And then shortly after, there was a withdrawal in Shepherd, Texas. Each time this money was withdrawn, it was withdrawn by a person wearing a mask. It's the same terrifying footage as this guy like in ski masks and hoods. It's so scary to me. Let me ask you something. Yeah. I know that there are flaws in this, but can we make it so that the security camera like can see if you're wearing a mask and if you are, you're not allowed to take out the money or something? That's can we? Really, I'm, I'm, listen, that's a million dollar idea right there. Like, because they can tell everything. Like, zzz, like just scan your face. And if your face is totally covered, uh-huh. you can't take out the money. Is that crazy? Is that like no. impeding on people's rights or whatever? Tell me where the flaws are in that. What, what if it's like, again, if it's super, if it's snowing and it's a blizzard and you're wearing that thing, well, oh, you're wearing a mask, then you have to go inside to take care of your money. I know. I'm with you. So what they are able to see in the background, though, is he's driving a, a white Ford Focus. Mm-hmm. They put out an APB, like a boop, 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 like all points bulletin. Uh-huh. You guys, everyone in Texas, be on the goddamn lookout for a white Ford Focus, maybe with out-of-state plates. This guy's bad news. You want to say Ford Bronco, didn't you? <laughs> Wow, five, I did. Five episodes of OJ. Yeah. A white Ford Bronco. Like, it's just, it rolls off the tongue at this You're point. Right. A white Ford Focus. That just doesn't feel right. White Ford Bronco. And so this one hero cop, can we get a hero bell for yeah. this guy? Sees a Ford Focus. He thought, this looks kind of like the car they're looking for. The vehicle makes a traffic infraction and he's able to pull him over. Look, this is why I'm not a cop. We shit on cops all the time because we only ever hear of the bad cops. Oh, yeah. Cops are so fucking brave and they put their lives on the line every single day. Yeah. This hero cop sees a white Ford Focus and he's like, I'm going to pull this bitch over because he might be the guy we're looking for. And the thing is, he pulls him over for a traffic violation, which is again like, you know, Son of Sam with the parking tickets yeah. and Al Capone tax evasion, like these idiots. So he pulls him over and the guy inside hands mm-hmm. him an Alaska driver's license. Girl. It's goddamn Israel Keys and he knows it. And then we see the video footage of him getting arrested. Yeah. Which again, like I'm obsessed with Israel Keys. I've been following this case. I'm telling you, it was riveting to see this footage. I've never seen this. Yes, yeah, because he didn't put his blinker on. What do you think about like how this happened? I know. This, he's a very organized person. Yeah. And this is how we get him. I love shit like this. The thing about it though is that like in the trunk of the car they find a gun uh-huh. and they find Samantha's cell phone and her debit card but there's no Samantha who was kidnapped in Alaska which is 15 billion miles away right where's Samantha right and then in my notes I have you guys they goddamn got him (laughs) and then I'm like and then I just say not so fast we're only 15 minutes in this thing is an hour and a half and where's Samantha (laughs) exactly 
So they know this is their guy. And they can arrest him on, like, the debit card charge. Samantha Koenig is missing. Right. He has her clothes and her stolen ATM card. <laughs> like, they're just what? like, this is the easiest arrest we've ever made. <laughs> Obviously, they're arresting him instantaneously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we learn it's 34-year-old Israel Keys. Sing. Uh, and they have a ton of evidence at this point. So they sit down with him. Right. And they're like, hey, girl. We have a lot of evidence at this point. We go back to his house. We identify his truck from the video surveillance. So the U.S. Attorney's Office sets up a meeting with Key's defense attorney, and ultimately it's an opportunity for us to to show him what evidence we have in an effort to get Keyes to cooperate with us. He kind of like sings like a canary from the minute one. Yeah, because they want to know where Samantha is. And right. they're hoping that she's still alive at this point. So they, they're hoping that they can get him to talk. Because I guess you never really know. Once you sit down with someone and uh-huh. you're like, here's what we can offer you. Like, maybe they'll start talking. Maybe they won't. But maybe you can get some very valuable information out of these murderers. They also don't know that he's a serial killer. They only think that he's the guy who, like, who like kidnapped this girl. Right. They know him as, like, 34-year-old Israel Keys, period. Right. Not 34-year-old <laughs> right. Israel Keys, comma. Do- Oxygen documentary series about him. Yes. Right, yeah, yeah, you totally. know, they have no idea. So in the first meeting, apparently he doesn't talk. And then he goes away. And a few days later, he agrees to come back and give a full confession. Well, not only does he not talk, but Frank Russo, former assistant U.S. attorney, just goes. We talked to him for about a half hour, 45 minutes. He wasn't very impressive. He just looked like a clean cut, regular guy. He wasn't very impressive. (laughs) Frank Russo has no use for him at first in their first 45 minute meeting. He wasn't very impressive. Don't get it twisted, Oxygen. So he comes back in. He's going to give a full confession, but he's got a couple demands, Jillian. And this is where we start getting the real audio of these conversations with Israel Keys. And it is so scary because it all comes back. You know what my pattern is? What? Laughter. (laughs) Oh, my God. His laughter is utterly terrifying. He punctuates everything with laughter. And when I say everything, he's talking about, like, rape and murder and burying bodies and kill kits. Yeah. And he thinks it's hilarious. Kill kits. Just say that again. Kill kits. I don't want (laughs) to. I have to later. I don't want to do it now. I don't want to. It's so fucking awful. I can give you the rest of the story, like, you know, everything that happened. If I get a cigar. (laughs) But Israel Keys, in order to spill the Israel Keys tea, Uh he wants a cigar, an Americano, and a peanut butter Snickers bar. Right. Three very important things, according to him. You know what I was thinking about in this? Because the Snickers bar comes back over and over and over again. If I'm the Snickers people, every time I'd be like, oh, God, don't say it. I know. Oh, God, don't say it again. I know. Even the FBI is like, at the time, we thought we're pretty silly. But if that's what it was going to take for him to talk with us. We were willing to do that. Silly, this guy's murdered 80 people. I know, but they don't know that. Right, so they're like, true. you know, we need to know where this girl is. 100%. Yeah. He wants a goddamn Snickers bar. Like, fine. Yeah, and so we're getting the actual audio of this confession. We get on screen text that says, Israel Keyes' confession is so shocking and so graphic. The FBI has never released the full tape. And I think it's not only the content, which is, I'm not taking away the weight of that, but it's because how cavalier he is about it. I think the laughing makes yeah. it shocking and more graphic that he He's saying it in this cold, calculating, like he's he, like he's solving a math problem or he's reading like an instruction manual yeah. as opposed to having any like care about a human being. So we find out that Samantha, the girl that he kidnapped from the coffee stand, he brought her home and like put her in the shed next to his house. He had a shed in his driveway and ultimately he put Samantha in the shed and she's bound in the shed. There he was drinking alcohol and smoking cigars, and then turned up the music so that any sounds that were irregular wouldn't be heard by his girlfriend, daughter, who were in the house, or the neighbors. I have heard of this shed in all of the reading I've done on this case. I imagined it's Alaska. The shed is like way in the backyard or something. This shed is literally attached to the house. Where Israel's girlfriend and 10-year-old daughter were in the house. Yeah. This was happening mere yards away from his family. And we learn that while he's got Samantha tied up in the shed, he's smoking cigars, he's drinking booze, and he turns the music in the shed up so loud so that the people in the house, his girlfriend and his daughter, won't be able to hear any of 
the quote like unnatural sounds. No, here's the thing. He is with her in this shed all night long doing horrible, unspeakable things to her. Mm-hmm. The music is so loud that you can't hear the screams. The girlfriend or the daughter isn't coming out and saying, hey, dad, can you turn the fucking music? It's what? 4 a.m. No neighbors are right. saying this? This is what I'm thinking. Like That's why I thought the shed was so far away from the house in the woods somewhere. Right, right, right. No, it's connected to the house in a neighborhood. I can't imagine that Israel Keys and his girlfriend had a great relationship. No. So it might have been like, don't disturb me while I'm in my man shed or whatever the fuck. At He's an asshole. I, it was shocking to see how close to the house that shed I was. I couldn't believe it. I know. It. I know. When your husband has a shed that, that he tells you not to go in, go in that goddamn shed yeah, with you the kick, cops. Yeah, you kick that door down. Yeah. So you know how Samantha's been missing for two and a half weeks? Yes. We're going back in time now. We're going to find out what happened to Samantha the entire time she's been gone. Yeah, Israel Keys is like, you want the story? I'll tell you the story. Exactly. So he leaves her in this shed and he goes back to get her phone and ATM card. From the coffee stand. Right. He climbs back in through the window. It's all so terrifying. Right. He indicates to Samantha that his goal is to get money, and if he gets money, that he intends to let her go. There was no truth to that. He had no intention of letting her go. So he goes back to the shed, and the next morning he kills Samantha by strangulation and stabbing. And he laughs. I think in his words, he said, you got your monster. (laughs) Oh my God. Oh my God. Yeah. It's at this point that like the FBI starts saying to us, like, we had a real problem with Israel Keys' attitude. We didn't like it. But what they realize now is like, okay, he's done this before. This is not the first time because his demeanor was too casual and calm that they were like, wait a second. Right. Not his first time at the rodeo. And he's telling them that he is two people. Nobody in his life knows this other person but him. Everyone in my life is going to tell you I'm one way, but I'm really another. He's admitting to them that he's sick. Right. And the FBI, like, they realize that it's, he's saying like, you know, I've been two different people for a long time. And the FBI is like, that's code for I've been a murderer for a long time. And they're like, how long have you been this other person Israel and he's like oh 14 years (laughs) and they're like oh this explains a lot the 14 year bomb explains a lot how long have you been two different people (laughs) long time 14 years you know a lot of people throw the words psychopath or sociopath around but unless you've sat in a room with one you don't really understand how soul jarring it could be to talk to somebody like this. So the FBI gets him to agree to tell them where Samantha's remains are for another Americano and a Snickers bar and a cigar. Yeah, I mean, he's predictable. For for a guy who doesn't have any patterns, he kind of does. That's true. So another thing that he tells them, you guys, it just gets worse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Spoiler. He went on a cruise with his family for two weeks and left Samantha's body in the shed. She's dead at this point. He killed her. He killed her. He killed her the night that he took her. Right. And left her there for two weeks. The morning after the kidnapping, Israel Keys rolled her body up and stuck it in a box in his shed and then woke his girlfriend up and his child up, went to New Orleans, boarded a cruise ship, and then came back about two, two and a half weeks later. And since it was so cold in Alaska, her body froze. So when he gets home from the cruise, this is so terrible. He, quote, thawed her out. Yeah. Put makeup on her, braided her hair. Yeah. The same way he braids his daughter's hair. Remember we had the whole thing about how she doesn't do that. That's how the boyfriend of the dad knew that something fishy was up. Right. And then he takes the photo that he used in the ransom note that he left in the park. What this means is that she is dead in the photo that the dad was like identifying her and saying, yes, this is her. And maybe thinking that she was alive. Right. She was not alive. She had been dead for weeks. Yeah. It it really think. Let that sink in, you guys. And we also see a picture of Israel Cruz from this cruise. He's got like a lay around his neck. Ah. It's just fucking crazy. Ah. Yeah. Also a cruise. God. I know. know. Isn't that like forced friendship on a cruise? Totally. Imagine sitting at his table at the buffet. Ah. God. Uh, Look, imagine going back through your pictures from the cruise and there's Mm -hmm. a picture of Israel Keys, my new buddy. Yeah. So they get Israel Keys to like for in exchange for like another cigar. Another round. Let's do (laughs) let's do one more. Let's do this one more time. Cigar, Americano, peanut butter stickers. He will tell them where he disposed of her body. Right. So he dismembered Samantha's body and goes to Matanuska Lake. A lot of ice fishermen out there. So he used that as a ruse to cut a hole in the ice and ultimately disposed of her body there. He's got a 
like drill a hole in the ice. Right. It's like the only place he knows of where it's not weird right. to drill a hole in the middle of a lake. Right. And put things down it. Ice fishing is so bizarre. I'm not saying it's weird or like in a bad way, but it's like you're standing on a lake and you're drilling a hole. That sounds counterintuitive to me. I only like it in Grumpy Old Men. Yeah, of course. That's it. Of course. I like the cold, but I don't want to sit in it. No. And fish. I know. I, that is, but I, I will watch grumpy old men on like a snowy evening. Yeah, 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 totally. So the cops go to where Israel Key said the body was mm-hmm. and they enlist their like deep water divers. You yeah. guys, this ice is five inches thick and these guys are going diving. It's crazy. They say that they're operating under extreme conditions. Uh-huh. Yeah. We get to Lake Manuska and some FBI agents, they're kind of standing watch over a spot on the lake that Keys had directed them to. There was a fishing hole that was frozen over. I looked at that and I said, if she's here, we're going to find her. And they find her remains like really quickly. Samantha's remains were exactly where Israel Keys said they would be. And one of the FBI guys says to Israel Keys, like just off the cuff, like, well, when you dumped the body, did you at least catch any fish? Mm -hmm. And he says, yes. And not only that, oh, this is so awful. He took the fish that he caught home. I took them home and ate them. So that really kind of turned my stomach as well, that this guy would... You know, kind of he's disposing of a body, catching fish and going home and serving them to his family. Yeah. I mean, this is the level of like just deranged this person is. Yeah. And that's why they say we hear this a bunch of times in the next time on or previously, like in between commercials or whatever, that one of the FBI people says people throw around the word evil, psychopath, sociopath. Sociopath, Yeah. And that's fine. But you never truly know what that really means until you're sitting in a room with someone like Israel Keys and he tells you about the catfish he caught after dumping a body. Right. From that same water. Yeah. So now the FBI knows like, okay, this is not the first time he's done this. Right. So, I mean, we even hear one of the FBI guys saying like. As a diver, when you first place your hands on that person underwater to bring them home, you start to get a feeling that this is now beyond evidence in a case because we are the first people to put our hands on that victim since the killer. You're happy, but how happy can you be when you've got a dismembered girl in front of you? Yay, we found her. <laughs> but also, like, you know, there can be closure, but the, it's the worst day on the job to right, find yeah. something horrible like this. So they're yeah. thinking, all right, there's a lot of closure to be had, a lot of justice to be done. Let's get this guy to talk. Now what he wants, he's like, all right, I'll talk. But he goes, I want this whole thing wrapped up and over with as soon as possible. He wants the death penalty. This bitch. <gasps> Ooh, the bell and of this bitch at the same because moment? Because now what wow, he, he it's thinks... it's a big day, you guys. I know, I know. This bitch, this idiot... <laughs> It's like, I want the death penalty and I want an execution date now. And I'm like, okay, um, so here's the thing about the death penalty, you idiot. (laughs) It's horrible, but like, even like, thank God there are innocent people on death row right now. Right. Who are not being executed because that's not how the death penalty works. Exactly. And also, Alaska doesn't even have the death penalty. Right. The best the best thing about the death penalty is that it takes years, which right. which gives us all this time to get people off death row who don't deserve to be there. Totally. You dummy. So he's like, yeah, um, I want the death penalty. Uh, make, make a special exception for me, Alaska. And so the FBI is like, okay, this guy's kind of an idiot. So we're just going to exploit this. And then we said, hey, if you want the death penalty, the best way to get it is to give us information about other crimes. And we'll try to move as quickly as possible. That's our promise to you. But you've got to give us something to get started. Otherwise, no one's going to take you seriously. You have to tell us where more bodies are buried. Who else you've gone after? Like, you got to give us more. And Israel Keys is fucking idiot. Falls for it. Right. But with one, he always has these, like, stipulations and things, like, just conditions. Yeah. And he's like, well, now, hold. okay, fine. Sure. So I get to pick my death penalty date? Perfect. And they're like, sure, Jan. Whatever. (laughs) And what he's really concerned about is his daughter Googling him. He is Saying, like, I want to keep this under wraps. I'll give you names, I'll give you bodies, I'll give you locations, but you got to keep my name out of it. He's like, I don't want the attention. I don't want the attention. But yeah. yet, you know who he sounds like? Who? He sounds like that girl in high school. You know her. Yeah. The one who's Megan? like, Yeah, Megan. <laughs> and she's always like, I just hate the drama. You know what I mean? <laughs> I just hate the drama, but she's always in the middle of the drama. And it's like, Megan, sweetheart, you're the common denominator in the drama. You're the common denominator and you hate the drama. The drama seems to follow you. (laughs) Look in a mirror, sweetheart. You know what else I would just like to maybe just ask if documentaries like moving forward, like all of them. <laughs> From this moment forward? From this moment forward, I just as a viewer, like I have a note. <laughs> Is that okay? <laughs> yes, a million percent. 25 minutes after hearing about the rape and the murder and like then watching and hearing him laugh about it. Yes. I 
really don't care about his like primitive upbringing <laughs> after I know what a monster he is. Uh-huh. Israel Keys was second of 10 children. He was born in Colb, Utah in 1978. When he was about five years old, his family moved. I really don't care. Uh-huh. If I'm watching the documentary, I know he's a monster, so I'm probably not going to care in the first five minutes. Uh-huh. But after I see him laughing about murder and rape, like, yeah. I super don't care about, totally. his, about his primitive upbringing in Utah and Washington or whatever. Yeah. I agree. I just don't care about it. Just a note. Take it if you want it. (laughs) Although now I'm being a massive hypocrite because he grew up on a mountain. Like literally, like I have in caps on a mountain, question mark. He was homeschooled and very isolated and not so and not socialized. Okay, the end. There you go. You have it. You know everything there is to know about Israel Keys, you guys. But the thing is, again, now I'm being a hypocrite. We do learn some interesting things about his parents. Yeah. Yikes. <laughs> they were part of this thing called the Ark I in know. Washington State. It's true. They are literally like registered by the Southern Poverty Law Center as like a white supremacist group. It's like them and all the people in Welcome to Leith, like the bad people in Welcome totally. to Leith, like they're on that same list. His humorless parents had a bunch of guns. Like They call his parents humorless. Humorless. Like, I know. Humorless <laughs> with a bunch of guns, like that can't end well, can it? I know. If there's ever a documentary made about Daisy, the last thing that they would ever call Steve and me is humorless, right? Right? No. Those two loud gays <laughs> in the theater district. <laughs> one one loud gay. One, one perfectly mild-mannered and responsible gay. <laughs> yes. Shirt tucked in. Totally. So the FBI is realizing that, like, look, the only way we're going to get this guy to talk is we got to be nice. we gotta, we got to ply him with Americanos and Snickers bars. Right. And they're saying, like, you know, we see footage and they're like, are you done with that newspaper? Would you right. like a new one? When you see the videotapes, people are horrified with the fact that we're sitting down and we're talking to him like he's a normal human being. They're bringing him coffee and, like, pastries, treating him like another colleague at the table, when, of course, he's an accused murderer. Oh, candy bar. Is that with a newspaper But what other choice do we have? We've got to keep him talking. And we hear throughout this documentary that, like, journalists and everyone was like, well, I never, like, clutching their pearls, like, how could they be so nice to this person? And it's like, how could you, how can you be falling for this? They're trying to be nice to get information. Have you seen one episode of SVU? Like, honestly, good cop, bad cop. Right. So when these journalists are like, it was really sickening. It just was (laughs) sickening to me, Megan. All right, so a cigar, an Americano, and a peanut butter Snickers bar later, we have some more names. The names just keep coming, you guys. Yeah, he tells them about this murder that he committed in Vermont, Mm -hmm. which is 4,000 miles from where they are currently sitting in Anchorage, Alaska. Right. So this is when we learn about the couriers, Lorraine and Bill. Yeah, and they were like nice people. They both worked in the medical center at the university. Like, I think the husband like fixed the people, the wife fixed the animals. Like, they were just nice, (laughs) nice people who were just trying to have like a lovely lifestyle. On June 9th, 2011, the couriers failed to show up at their jobs. Nobody had any information. They just disappeared. Authorities said the couple's garage window was broken, Lorraine's 38 caliber handgun was missing, and the phone line to the home had been cut. And this is also where we learned that Israel Keys had planted kill kits all across the country. Yeah. And these kill kits were filled with like guns and cash and rope and duct tape. Right. And we get this monologue from the FBI about how like he's a serial killer unlike any other because of his delayed gratification that he would like go on a road trip and he would bury a kill kit somewhere knowing he'd come back for it like in two years. In fact, Keys had left a kit in the Burlington, Essex area when he was on his trip out east in 2009. And he would lie to his girlfriend or whoever he was with at the time and be like, I'm going to go on a trip with some old friends. And he says to the FBI people, he's like, I don't have old friends. Right. (laughs) I don't have anybody, let alone like old, old timey pals in Vermont. Like, no. This bucket filled with instruments of death sits dormant for over two years as Keyes returns to his daily life in Alaska, knowing that at some point, He'll be back to use it. And in 2011, after two years of anticipation, Keyes returns to Vermont to get his horrific fix. He scoped out their house and he he saw that they had all the signs of a house he could break into easily. Right. It looked like he, they didn't have any kids. Mm-hmm. They didn't have a dog. So he cuts like the phone cord to the house because he feels like that will also cut any sort of like alarm system mm-hmm. at the same time. He gains access to the house by taking a fan out of a window in the garage. He used a crowbar that he found in the garage to break that glass. Once I was actually in the house, I was probably in the bedroom within 
five or six seconds. It really was a blitz attack on Bill and Lorraine who were sleeping in bed. Can you imagine the fucking terror? No. The, my mom's house looks just like this house. Oh, it's like God. a little ranch house. And I know that if you went in through the garage, you could be in the bedroom in four seconds. Right. And he laughs about this too. He's laughing about how terrified they were saying like, you never expect this stuff to happen to you, LOL. And I'm like, oh my God. It's kind of insane because he's right. He's it's like, totally right. You do never expect this shit to happen to you. Ugh. He went in fast. He went in armed. He took them captive put them in their own car. He had found an abandoned farmhouse that was very run down, and that's where he ended up taking Bill and Lorraine. This is my other question. Like, I know it's nobody's fault. People shouldn't be serial killers. Mm -hmm. Where are the neighbors? He breaks into the house. He ties these people up. He, he, like, has them tied their hands behind their backs and, like, drags them out into their own car and drives away. Nobody saw anything? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's horrible. And, you know, the rest of the story is that he drives them to a farmhouse, like, in the middle of nowhere, ties Bill to a thing in the basement. Lorraine almost gets away. Just crushing part was hearing about her very near escape. She started running, and I tackled her and uh, (laughs) roughed her up a little bit and tied her back up. She was feisty. She was, like, fighting the whole time. He calls her feisty. Yeah. She doesn't get away. He sexually assaults her and then he kills both of them. And in the interview with the FBI, he's giving the location of this house where he did this. He's telling them where the bodies are in the basement. They get there. The house is just like gone. And he's laughing. So this is the place that was ultimately demolished and that we searched and did not find the bodies in. I had no idea. (laughs) And then all of the contents of this home that were demolished was taken to a landfill. Right. And the reason that I'm like slowing down on this story is because they have all of these local cops that are like searching the landfill. There was over 13,000 cubic yards of trash that was searched, which translated into over 10,000 tons. I would not trade places with any other job during the time we were on that pile. I was in such humility to root around among trash and and try to try to find them. 10,000 tons of trash. You see pictures of these cops just like doing their jobs, trying to find these people's bodies. Yeah. And they don't. They don't. And they have the dogs come in and they, you know, alert on the scene that, yes, the bodies were here, but they just can't find them. And the cops are saying, like, I hope this is enough in some way. And they know it's not. Yeah. And it's just it's just kind of amazing to see these like these civil servants like digging through 10,000 tons of trash, trying to like find some closure for this family. Right. So somebody from the FBI leaks his name to the local Vermont press. Right. They're like, remember that guy that got arrested in Alaska for kidnapping that girl and he was gone for that whole crazy story? Yeah, like he's now connected to the murder of the couriers. Which was crazy information. Because it was like, wait, now he's a serial killer. Right. And the thing is, is that he didn't want his name out there. He wanted the death penalty yesterday. Right. So he gets wind of this because, of course, he's in prison and he can watch TV and have visitors. So everyone's like telling him that his name is out there. Also, who? visiting Israel Keys like (laughs) and he gets mad the anonymity part of his life was so important that being outed by the TV network in Vermont was for him a major breach of trust I'm getting a little bit ticked off I told you from the get-go before I told you where the freaking bodies were left I told you that I didn't want the locals involved the first thing you do is make a big scene and so now the FBI is saying that they think that he, this guy's like total body count is 11. Yeah. But they don't know for sure. I mean, there's even talk that he's connected to Maura Murray. Really? Yes. Because this murder that they just ha- were talking about happened in Vermont. Right. Which was around the same time that Maura Murray went missing in New Hampshire. Yeah. It's very unlikely. But there yes. is talk that like maybe it was Israel Keys. And so we're learning there's these other cases. There's this prostitute who went d- missing in New York that they're pretty sure is connected to Israel Keys. Yeah. Like her name was on his computer and there's no way that he would have known about her. You know, they say her name and his whole face changes. Right. So Jolene, the FBI agent, is like, look, to us, she's saying this, to camera. She's like, we think his body count is 11. He's giving us names. Yeah. But we can't necessarily connect them with any evidence other than like Israel Keys said so. Most serial killers are caught because their bodies pile up. But because Keys is so meticulous... All his victims essentially disappear. The reason he was such a successful killing machine was because he knew how to avoid getting caught. The only victim that we recovered is Samantha. 
And that's because he told us exactly where she was. He was very good at not leaving evidence. Like, he's very good at this. We don't want to give him any credit. Uh, me especially. I never want to give anybody any credit, especially when they're a murderer. But, like, they know that information because he gave it to them. Yeah, and so, you know, Israel Keys got super mad when he found out that his name had been leaked to the press. And so he shut down. And he's not talking anymore. He's not sharing any more information. They've got to build the trust back up with him. They have all of these cases they think might be connected to him. Right. And just as it's starting to get good, just as they're starting to think that, like, they're back in that rapport with him, he's going to start talking... And he's going to start leading them to kill kits. Like, things are happening again. Right. He somehow gets a hold of a razor Mm -hmm. in his jail cell, and he kills himself. Yeah. I know he didn't want to spend his life in jail, and so the opportunity arose, and I think he took the opportunity. He was going to be looked at as a monster. Now, I don't think he minded being looked at as a monster, but ultimately, because he was captured, he was going to be looked at as a failure. And that's what I think he didn't want. And we hear a piece of his suicide note and it's written like in rhyme. What's with these serial killers with the bad poetry? <laughs> Haven't you done enough? If words are placid and weak. Back it with action or it comes off cheap. Watch close while I work now. Feel the electric shock of my touch. Open your trembling flower or your petals I'll crush the poetry give me a break and like it's so crazy because we'll just never know there's at least six other bodies out there that they think are connected to him but we'll probably never know for sure Mm -hmm. there's god only knows how many kill kits buried out there somewhere that we'll never find right and the whole oxygen documentary is basically like a plea for help from you the viewer right so this is the whole thing it kind of ends with like if you have any information if anybody that you know went missing at a time that corresponds with when we think Israel Keys might have been in your town yeah let us know call girl. us yeah oxygen at oxygen.com or whatever <laughs> Israel Keys you're garbage but he's dead but he's dead but he's dead yeah <laughs> he's dead now Girl, that is a crazy one. Israel Keys was the worst. The worst. And he, like, loves that he's the worst. He sucks. He's just I like, <laughs> I hate that. I hate that whole, like, he just he's just here for the attention. Mm-mm, not yeah. on this pod. You guys, just a, a quick reminder, if you want more Julian and me, get on the Patreon. 140 full bonus episodes to download a binge right now. We're uh, just about to start McMillions. We just finished Tiger King, Tiger girl. King. <laughs> and again, I say, good riddance. Bye. Right. Bye. <laughs> but it's, you know, making a murder in the staircase, the jinx, Lorena, you know it all. If you need to laugh, and we all need to laugh right now, go check it out. Patreon.com slash True Crime Obsessed, or go to our website, click on the Patreon link. Yep. Um. So next week, you guys, we were going to do the documentary Unseen. The episode is recorded. It's a fantastic episode about a truly fantastic documentary. However, it deals with a lot of murder and death in the black community, and Jillian and I have made the decision that we don't think it's the right time to put that out. Yeah, we, of course, denounce police brutality and everything that's happening in the world right now and we drag them all don't get it twisted we we really yeah, take these yeah. people to task here but it just seems like we want to handle the situation with care and we don't want to re-traumatize anyone or bring up anything that can be really harmful to your well-being right now yeah and so we're erring on the side of being overly cautious because we love you and we don't want to put anything out in the world right now that's going to make you sadder or you know in any way like Jillian said re-traumatize anybody so girl next week we're going to do it's a two-parter you guys it's called The Most Dangerous Animal of All it's an FX documentary about the Zodiac Killer. This guy was an adoptee and he goes on a search for his birth parents and he comes to the conclusion that his dad is the Zodiac Killer. And I have some thoughts and feelings about it. (laughs) So it's a two-parter, you guys. The first part's going to be released next week in the regular feed. Part two of it will be released at the $5 level ad-free on Patreon if you want to binge the whole thing as a series. Mm -hmm. So stay tuned for the trailer for The Most Dangerous Animal of All and then the ridiculous and hilarious outtakes for this episode. And we love you, you guys. We love you. Stay safe. We're thinking about you. And yeah, we love you. That's really, that's all there is to it. There's just a lot of love. Despite all the screaming and the anger, there's a lot of love here coming coming your way. I know it doesn't always sound like it, but it's true. All right. bye. Bye. In San Francisco, two more communications have been received from the person who calls himself the Zodiac Killer. I often get asked, when you first suspected your father was a Zodiac Killer, why didn't you just stop? because it was my identity and it was my story. I just had to know. There's still a wound that I don't think heals until you know where you came from. This is the only picture that I have of Gary's father and it's his mugshot. 
But it wasn't until I started doing my own research that I actually found out the whole truth. Unforgettable. The Zodiac is the kind of thing that people just crawl into. In every way. I needed to know who he was, and I was going to find him no matter what. And I asked my biological mother about my father. She said she didn't remember. She claims she doesn't remember so that she doesn't have to face what she did. The Zodiac said, if you crack this cipher, you will have my identity. I immediately saw my father's name. What are the odds that Gary Stewart thinks his father was a Zodiac killer and they've got the same handwriting, the same scar, and they're in the same places? If you look to the DNA, there's a 99% probability. Things began to get tense. He believes it very strongly. I would much rather go home and say, we don't have that defective gene. It's been consuming his entire life. He believes he is the son of the Zodiac. Loves a Snickers bar. Peanut butter Snickers and a cigar and an Americano. Oh, Americano too. By the way, that is the grossest coffee. Yeah. It's espresso and water. Just have like the water. Get a French press girl. Get a Frenchie. (laughs) Again, I don't know why I'm just in the office, but I thought you were going to quote Dwight and be like, what a loser. Get a friend loser. When you said get a, (laughs) and I was like, get a friend loser. (laughs) <laughs> the drama seems to follow you. Uh, That's my drag name. Uh, um, I, I literally have in my notes, Keys' backstory. Oh, my God. Here we go again. Yeah. <laughs> Every documentary, we're like, you know, we don't care about this whole part. <laughs> you know how you can make our episodes 20 minutes shorter? Take this part out of the documentary. Yeah. But <laughs> just don't like, just don't kill things that are alive. Like, I just don't understand. I, <laughs> <laughs> just don't kill things that are alive. Makes me think of you can't do that on television. Yes, Moose, remember? Hey, Moose. We just came back from Canada, so we're just all about the you can't do that on television. We did talk about you can't do that on television for like 20 minutes while we were in Canada. Yeah, a little bit. I don't know. (laughs) And then Grumpy Earl Men with Anne Margaret. No, she's in the first one. Sophia Loren is in the second one. Sorry, everybody. I'm getting my Grumpy Old Men confused. Like, are we in another instance where we have to define consent to somebody? Because not today. I know. No. 